Look in my eyes. What do you see? Another firing by a guy who couldn't last in AEW. It's the cult of personality. It's bitch-ass CM Punk we're going to be talking about on this episode. Because this is episode 331 of No One's Ready for Wrestling as we talk professional wrestling and give my thoughts on the news that I read and the shows that I watch. For those of you who are new, I welcome you. I am the one, the only Phoenix that rises from the ashes. It is yeah, boy, uh, Shino Phoenix. And I thank you guys so much for tuning in for your weekends as we got a lot of wrestling to talk about. We got two back-to-back pay-per-views, one from AEW, one from WWE. We're going to discuss Payback. What did I think about the show? What did I thought about? What two matches I enjoyed on Payback? An excellent uh, uh, all-out for uh, AEW after all the bullshit drama that they had to go through. The big story of this episode revolves around one, one CM Punk. CM Punk, where do I even begin with this clown? Where do I even begin with this, this, this sorry excuse of a man? Where do I even begin with a guy who just does not know when to shut his fucking trap? Where do I begin with somebody who is just a cancer backstage? Like I could go on and on and on. But the big story is CM Punk. He has been fired from AEW. Why did I? Why is that the right call? Why Tony Khan had to make this difficult choice? And do I see him going to WWE? You already know what my answer is going to be. So we got that story. We got an update on Thunder Rosa, which is great news. It is great news. And this is something that I've been waiting to hear for a long, long time. We're going to talk about AEW Dynamite like we always do. On the WWE side, I know they just did their um, their superstar spectacle show in uh, India. So we got news on one name in particular that they're bringing back for that show. We got news on when their next Saudi show is going to be. What's going on with Carlito? They signed him, but we haven't seen him. Um, the, we got news on WWE's Endeavor merger, which, when is it going to be completed? And we also got news on LA Knight. He's in talks with WWE about a long-term deal, and he is slotted as the top baby face for SmackDown, which is great. And we're going to be discussing Raw, that did Gunther surpass the Honky Tonk Man? And of course, we're talking NXT as well, which, and we're also talking SmackDown and a lot to go over. So this is going to be one of those episodes you do not want to miss. Um, make sure you guys follow me on Twitter, Shino D Phoenix. It's, uh, like, I don't care if it's X, I don't care if it's Twitter. It's still Twitter in my eyes. Um, I've been post, I've been tweeting a lot, like for the past couple of hours, so you may notice some motivation or affirmation or inspiring um, little tweets that I've been putting out there. But if you want to follow me, Shino D Phoenix, I do live tweet for Raw, NXT, Dynamite, SmackDown. 
I do my Wednesday shout outs. I I promote my Twitch account and my Kick account. So if you're not following me on Twitch or Kick, is she is Sheeno Phoenix? You're missing out on great content. I'm just letting y'all know right now. You're missing out on some great ass content because right now I got some big stuff planned. Cause we are counting down my birthday, and I will be live streaming on my birthday on Kick. So just want to let you guys know right now. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, CoolManSip. That's C-Y-P. I have switched to my professional account instead of personal to, instead of being personal, I want to be professional. So I am really proud of where I'm, where I'm doing as on Instagram, which you can find me there a little bit more. Um, make sure you Follow me on TikTok, Shino D Phoenix. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, Shino D Phoenix. Like the Facebook page. No one's ready for wrestling. And let's get right into the show, guys. Let's talk Payback. Payback did their uh show this Saturday, and I thought they had a really good show. I thought this was a really, really good, good pay-per-view. The card and the build was pretty lackluster. Not taking anything away from the talent. Not taking anything away from, uh, from, uh, let's see. Uh, where do I even begin? Like, I just felt the build was pretty weak, but I thought they did a really good job. Now, Payback actually did some really good, uh, they made history with, uh, Payback. So... According to Sean Ross Sapp, he reported that Payback is the highest-grossing WWE event in the history of Pittsburgh based on internal reports. And it gets better for Payback. This is what WWE uh, issued in the following statement. WWE today announced that Payback with which emanated from the PPG Haints Arena in Pittsburgh, became the most watched and highest grossing payback in the company's history. So, again, doing big numbers. Um, the premium live event set a new record for viewership, gate, and merchandise. Viewership of payback was up 36% versus the previous record set in 2016. With 12,468 in attendance, it marked the largest gate for ever for any payback, up 13%, versus the prior record set in Chicago in 2016. Payback also became the highest grossing WWE event ever held in Pittsburgh. In addition, Payback broke an all-time event merchandise record in partnership with special event retailers, retail partner Fanatics, merchandise sales were up 182% versus the previous record set in 2017. 2023 payback was also the most viewed social payback of all time, with a combined 146 million social views up 44% from the previous record set in 2020. The most viewed moment across social platform was Cody Rhodes announced. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And 
Because it did involve Cody Rhodes. You, you guys know what it is, but I don't want to give that away just yet. But y'all know what I'm talking about. But I thought Payback overall, like I said, I thought it was really good. And I thought they opened the show excellent. We had Becky Lynch taking on Trish Stratus inside a steel cage. Now, this feud, and I, I, I will be honest until the cats come home. I will be real with all of you guys. The feud was not good. The feud was not was not that good. And and I mean this in all the respect in the world from both of these ladies. Um but however, however, I thought I thought Becky and Trish absolutely killed it. They shut a lot of people up. Like we, and they shut me up. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie and tell you that, that um, I was not impressed, like by their feud. But this match they did, the match that they put on was fucking excellent. It was absolutely amazing, and I enjoyed every second of it. I and and I'm being real when I say it. I enjoyed every second of this match. There was one part where. Trish did Victoria's Vertebraker. She did her she did uh Victoria's finisher, which I thought that was a nice callback. Like it was a nice back and forth. Like lots of real like the crowd was into it. I was into it. But Becky Lynch hit the manhandle slam off the top rope. I mean, it would have been interesting if she hit the manhandle slam off the top of the cage, but yeah, we don't want to take that risk. But Becky Lynch, she finally put the nail uh, to Trish Stratus. And I, I thought these women had an excellent match. I thought they had an excellent, excellent match. And I like I said, I got to give credit where credit is due. Like, both of these women went out there and they put on an excellent show. They really put on an excellent show and you got to give them props for that. And all I could say is there are just so many things you could say. Like Michael Cole on commentary called this possibly the the match of the year. And I could definitely see that being added as somebody's match of the year. Now, we, like we said, we know the feud, the buildup has been shit. And the crowd did not really care about this feud. But once these two got in the ring and they showed them what's up that's when they shut everybody up now this isn't the last we saw of becky lynch on this show because she was also backstage and it involved one nxt women's champion and that's also going to play a part to what's going to happen when we talk nxt now after the match stratus and zoe stark they began arguing trish slaps her in the face and she demands her to get out of the ring. Now, Starks slams the door shut, hits the Z360 on Trish, and walks away from her. Now, from what I saw from footage from the crowd, everybody, like as soon as they rose the uh, steel cage up, everybody was chanting, thank you, Trish. Thank you, Trish. And well-deserved, too. 
Like, and I honestly can say that Trish is up there as one of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time. Like, in her age, she could still go. She can still go and put on a banger with Becky Lynch. I thought they had an excellent match. Like, and, and I'm being real when I say this. I thought they had an excellent, excellent match. And again, not taking anything away from her. She she was fantastic going into that. Absolutely fantastic, to say the least. And I mean this in all the respect. But uh, I thought they had a that was an excellent way to kick off payback. John Cena comes out. He walk the new host, uh, the host of Payback, welcomes everyone to WWE Payback. He puts over the opening match and rightfully so, claiming it was awesome, which it was. He points out that in his entire career, he has never been a host. And he wasn't going to pass up the opportunity to be here tonight. He found out his job is to make tonight special. And there's no better way than by being the special guest referee for a match that he has his eyes on for a while. LA Knight versus The Miz. Now, The Miz comes out and he's not pleased about this announcement. And... He says Cena sucks as a host and Cena asks for Miz, like he's sarcastically asking him, look, I need your advice. And Miz says, you don't put yourself as a referee in this match. He also says you say no when they call call about being a merman in a Barbie movie, which let me be honest, I did watch the movie uh, yesterday and the movie was actually really good. I thought the movie was really good. Um, Miz says he should be more involved as he was in two matches when he hosted WrestleMania. He mocked Cena for dressing like a Teletubby. I don't know why that was funny to me. I don't know why I thought that was funny. Um, And Miz points out to Cena that you don't have a referee shirt. But somebody somebody hands him a referee shirt. And they go back and forth with no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. Which leads to L.A. Knight coming out. And he got a big reaction as always. And this led to this match, which I thought this was really good. A little, And I know this is nitpick. I know people are going to nitpick. Oh, this is too long. But... I thought these two did really good. I thought these two did really good because I look at this. This was a test for LA Knight to see if he could do a long match with uh, The Miz. And he hit a home run with this. Now, I know there's going to be a little bitty dissension between... There's going to be a feud with Miz and Grayson Waller. Possibly against L.A. Knight and John Cena. Like, we all know that's going to happen. Um, But L.A. Knight, he got the win. I thought this was really good. And speaking of L.A. Knight, I do want to mention this. And WWE is doing, doing great with L.A. Knight. So much so, they have slotted him 
Like, I was going to save this for the WWE part, but I'm like, you know what? Let me just talk about it right now. They have slotted LA Knight as the top babyface of SmackDown, and well-deserved. Because it's very clear that WWE is behind LA Knight. And not only that, he got endorsed by John Cena after the match. Now, that's a strategic move as Cena would not endorse Knight if he didn't believe in what WWE was doing with him. Knight has been getting big crowd pops at all of the televised and non-televised events. And his his momentum continues to grow every passing month. Now, WrestleVotes, they have reported in an update, it looks like a title reign will eventually will come eventually because he's currently slotted as a top babyface on the SmackDown roster. Based on the way WWE books rising babyface stars, don't look for Knight um, to challenge for the Undisputed Universal Championship anytime soon because that title is going to stay on Roman until WrestleMania. We all know that. But the United States title, that is a definite yes. A definite yes. Because if there's anybody who could make that United States championship feel important, it will be LA Knight. Now, speaking about Knight, he is actually in talks with WWE about a new long-term deal. This was reported by PW Insider. They reported that LA Knight and WWE officials have been negotiating a new long-term deal that is said to be either close to being finalized or has already been signed. Some sources in the company believe the extension is up for five years, and I think that's a great get. And I know there's some other names that um that their contracts are running out. Drew, he's still in negotiations with the company, but I think he's gonna be uh he's gonna be sticking around with WWE. But I think this is a good gift for WWE, like keeping LA Knight for five more years. That's a big deal. That is literally a big deal. And the reason I say that is because LA Knight is a fucking beast. LA Knight continues to show why he's one of the best out there. Like, I thought, I thought every time he gets a reaction, like, you know he's going to be a major star. So I'm glad that they are riding that momentum. They are definitely doing right with LA Knight. Moving on, we have the United States Championship on the line as Rey Mysterio defended his title against Austin Theory. Uh, I thought these two had a decent match. I thought this was fine for what it was. Not on that level of great or good, but it was just decent. Rey Mysterio, he got the win. He retained over Austin Theory. And uh, all I can say is, what's next? The only thing I could think of is him and Santos Escobar. One more time. I think that's the direction they might be going with. Kathy Kelly was backstage with Becky Lynch. And she's asking what's next. When all of a sudden. Tiffany Stratton. uh, Comes in and congratulates her. She says she thinks they got off on the wrong foot. She apologized for calling her the NXT. An NXT women's champion. And Lynch tells her look. Focus on your title match, and maybe she will see her soon. Remember that line, because we're going to be talking about NXT in a few. 
because they already build up to something that's going to happen on NXT next week. What I thought was another excellent match, I thought the undisputed tag team championship Steel City Street Fight between the Judgment Day and KO and Sammy, I thought they had an excellent match. This was this was amazing. Like, literally amazing. You had them coming out. No, you had KO bleeding. You had KO doing a swanton off the, uh, like, off one of the crowds and into the tables, which was fucking great. But they shocked us. They shocked us with a title change in this match. And the Judgment Day, they carry all the gold. Finn Balor and Damian Priest are your new undisputed WWE Tag Team Champions. And the thing I will say about this, and I'm being real when I say this, I will say this, I thought, I thought these four guys absolutely killed it. This was an excellent, excellent match. And like I said, I enjoyed it. I literally enjoyed seeing these guys just kill each other. Lots of insane spots. I could go, like, I'm not going to go into every detail, but if there's one match you got to look at, it's definitely this one. It's definitely this one. Now, Jaden McDonough also played a part in this match. So, again... I still believe he's going to be a major catalyst to what's going to happen with Judgment Day. I still firmly believe that. But anyway, moving on. We have the Grayson Waller effect. Cody Rhodes was the guest on the show. And before he could say, So, what do you want to talk about? Waller says, I've heard the whisper of Rhodes' big announcement. While pointing out that Rhodes has had so many ups and downs this year. And he and he knows Rhodes needs the wall of rub. Trust me, if there's one thing you don't need is the wall of rub. Um, <laughs> but I mean that in no disrespect to Grayson Waller. He calls him a kid and says tonight is the start of something big for uh, Rhodes. Cody points out that... These things normally end with fighting, but he says that he did ask to be on the show and he thanks Walla for the rub. He wants to give Walla something, a big scoop. He says SmackDown is intriguing and he recently saw a wrong that he felt needed to be righted. He cashed in what chips he had and he, had, he hopes it's a decision he won't regret. He welcomes the newest member of Monday Night Raw, and that person is Jay Uso. It's just me, Uso. Day one-ish, just me, Uso. And Walla points out that he's only been gone for two weeks, but he didn't prepare a questions for him. He claimed that Jay never achieved um anything, but he silences Walla with a. Uh, what's that word I'm looking for? Oh, yeah. Let me breathe it at the top of my lungs. <gasps> Super kick! He knocks over some props and poses as Rose watches on. So, 
I have a theory on where this is going to go. This could lead to Cody Rhodes going to SmackDown because if Raw got it, if Raw got a trade, then SmackDown needs some something in return. And I think Cody's going to make the most sense because it would be a way for them to finish the story. It would be an easy way to get him on uh on SmackDown. That's just how I see it. We have the Women's World Championship on the line as Rhea defended against Raquel. I thought they had a good match. I thought these two had a pretty good match. With Raquel losing, thanks to Dom Dom. And Rhea, she retained, which made the most sense. No doubt about it. And I thought this was good. This was good for what it was. In our main event, we had the World Heavyweight title on the line, Nakamura versus Seth Rollins. I thought this was good. Not at the level of great, but again, I thought this was really good for what it was. And um, Seth Rollins, he retained with the well, just one curve stomp. Just one curve stomp, that's all. And the show ended weird. I'm going to be honest with you. It ended weird. They had Nakamura pacing outside the ring after the loss while Seth Rollins is celebrating, and then they just cut to the recap stuff. It wasn't until after the show, like after they went off the air, they showed a video of Nakamura attacking Seth Rollins, which I was asking myself, why didn't they do that? Despite the ending being weird, I thought this was, I thought this was good. That's the best way I could say it. I thought this was good. And Payback was a really good show. The next event is is um Fastlane. That's going to be the next event. But I thought this was good overall. Now we switch over to AEW who had their pay-per-view all out. And God knows they needed to hit a home run with this pay-per-view. After all the BS that went down behind the scenes. And they actually did. They hit a home run with this uh with this pay-per-view. I thought they had an excellent show. And there's some matches on here that I enjoyed. And we're gonna start with the zero hour. We have the over the budget battle royal where the winner gets to donate the charity of their choosing. Not going to go through everybody that was in there, but all I could tell you is Hangman Page, he won, and he donated, I believe, to the teachers in uh, in Chicago. Some of the schools down there, which I thought was really nice. We had Hikaru Shida, Willow Nightingale, and Sky Blue taking on the Ring of Honor Women's Champion, Athena, Diamante, Diamante and Mercedes Martinez with Billy Starks in the heels corner. And I'm throwing out a theory here. What if this leads to Billy Starks beating, being the one to dethrone Athena? And if that's the case, I, I would be on board with that. I would be on board with that 100%. Um, but all I can say is I thought this was an average, good six-woman tag match with... Um, the baby face is getting a win because Sky Blue's from Chicago. 
And they did tease Hikaru Shida challenging Athena for the Ring of Honor Women's Championship. Now, that's a match I would love to see. When will it happen? We will know. We won't know. But um, I thought this was average. And the last match you had on the uh, zero hour, uh, excuse me, had the hiccups, is the AEW Trios Championship match as the Acclaim defended their titles against Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and Satnam Singh. Now, were there some cheesy moments in this match? Yes. Did I think it was good? Yes. I thought this was good for what it was. And um, the Acclaimed and Billy Gunn, they retained their titles against Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and Satnam Singh. And of course, Aubrey Edwards was the referee because you had to deal with Karen Jarrett. But uh, other than that, I thought this was... The Zero Hour was fine. We kicked things off with the Ring of Honor tag team titles on the line as MJF and Adam Cole defended their titles against the Dark Order. I thought this was a good opener. Now, they did... They did um, do a little angle where MJF was out for half of the match selling the neck injury. And it was literally Adam Cole against the Dark Order. But MJF came back. The baby faces won. I really cannot believe I'm saying that about MJF being a babyface, but I think he's actually doing a really good job, though. Anyway, so MJF and Adam Cole, they retained their Ring of Honor tag team titles. And I still think this is going to lead to the Kingdom challenging for the tag titles and them winning the tag titles. I think that's the destination we're going to be heading. Now, after the match, Samoa Joe comes out. He comes in. While MJF is leaving the ring, and he it's a callback to what they did in NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, Joe just shoved MJF, and he had that smile on his face like, I remember that. Good times, good times. Now, MJF, infuriated by this, goes after Joe, and rule number one, whatever you do, Don't go after Samoa Joe. Don't charge after Joe because your ass is going to get choked out. Which happened to MJF. Both men are separated by security. The crowd is chanting, let them fight, let them fight. Which is going to happen at some point. It's going to happen at some point. But Samoa Joe was in the ring to defend his Ring of Honor television championship against Shane Taylor. I thought these two had a good match. I thought they had a good match with um, Samoa Joe retaining. This was just a way to get his win back. Just to get a win after losing to CM Punk at All In. But I want to talk about Shane Taylor for a bit. I am a big fan of Shane Taylor. Now, I don't know if Tony Khan has signed Shane Taylor. If he didn't, then he is making the biggest mistake of his life. Because Shane Taylor is a fucking beast. I will say that until I am blue in the face. I will say that until the cats come home. I will say that with a firm grin. With a firm grin on my face. Shane Taylor is a beast. I got to watch him wrestle at Wildcat. I got to watch him team with Keith Lee. 
That was my exposure to Keith Lee, by the way. PBK for life. And, and, I do want to say this. Like, Shane Taylor, I think he could be a big star if Tony Khan signs him. And you could reform PBK. Why not? I think that would be a great idea. I think that would be an excellent, excellent, excellent idea. And I mean that wholeheartedly. So, they got to sign Shane Taylor. That's just my honest opinion. But if he doesn't want to be signed, then that's fine. I'm not going to force that on him. But like I said, this was just a way to give Samoa Joe a win after losing a punk. We had the TNT Championship on the line as Luchasaurus defended his title against Darby Allin. I thought they had a great match. This is when we get to good to great. This was great. I know how great Darby Allin is. I know how great Luchasaurus is. Christian Cage, I, I gotta mention this. Christian Cage has been absolutely killing it with this new character that he has. I think this run right now has been my favorite. Like, every time somebody mentions your deceased dad, he will just go at the chopping block for that. But, um... I thought they had a great match. Luchasaurus, he retained over Darby Allen. After the match, they were going to do a concerto to Darby Allen until the locker room empties up and preventing Christian Cage from hitting Darby Allen with a concerto. So the staff attended to Darby after the match. And like I said, I thought this was great. You want an example of big meaty men slapping meat? Which is a wrestling terminology that we always say. Big meaty men slapping meat. Thank you, Biggie. Take no look than Miro and Powerhouse Hobbs. These two will just, and you could just hear me slapping my chest. Big meaty men slapping meat. They literally slap the shit out of each other. You got holy meat chant, meat forever. This was the definition of big, meaty men slapping meat. And this match was fucking excellent. And I mean that wholeheartedly. This was a fucking excellent match. And these two have really great chemistry. Like, I honestly thought they delivered. And it was Miro who got the win with the game over submission on Powerhouse Hobbs. Like, I would recommend that you guys watch this match. I thought it was really, really good. Now, after the match, now this is where it gets interesting. Both men, they show respect to each other. And after that, Hobbs attacked Miro from behind. He's choking out Miro when you see this Titantron in a music playing, hot and flexible. And I instantly knew, that's C.J. Perry. C.J. Perry, the former Lana made her All Elite Wrestling debut. Now, she takes off her heels. Like, if you run in heels, you got mad props. She takes off her heels. She runs to the ring, hits Hobbs with a chair. Hobbs just glares at her. She just looks at CJ. But Miro recovers, and he levels uh, Hobbs with chair shots. And he sees CJ in the ring, and he's shaking his head, and he abandons his beautiful, hot, and flexible wife. Seemingly frustrated by her presence. 
I guess Miro hasn't forgotten about you dating Bobby Lashley in that storyline. I guess he hasn't forgotten. So, I don't know if CJ is going to be on AEW a little bit more. Because if so, I think that would be a great story you could tell with Miro. To win back the trust. Now, will CJ Perry compete in the ring? I don't know. I honestly don't know, but if she's capable of doing what she did in WWE, I think she could pull it off. Now, she hasn't gotten the All Elite graphic, but I think that would be a nice story you could tell. And it gives Miro and CJ some time together. I would not mind that. But I thought these two men had an excellent match. We had a really good match with Chris Statlander defending her TBS championship against Ruby, Ruby, Ruby Soho. Destination unknown. Ruby, Ruby, Ruby Soho. Sorry, I got into a musical number. Now, the story in this match is Ruby Soho has beaten Chris Statlander on two separate occasions. And it's ironic that two of them involved them being in the tournament. One was the TBS championship tournament. And the other was the Owen Hart Cup for the women. And I thought these women had a good match. Now, another thing I loved about this was Tony Storm. Now, they were going to do the spray painting to win the match, but Tony Storm takes the spray paint from Ruby Soho, which distracts Ruby. And Chris Statlander hit her finisher on Ruby to retain. And I thought this was good. I thought this was really good. And Tony Storm, let me talk about Tony for a bit. Tony Storm is becoming one of my favorite acts in the women's division. And, and I mean that wholeheartedly. And that's all I could say. I mean that wholeheartedly when, when, um, like, you look at my favorites on the side is Adam Cole and MJF story. You got Tony Storm who's doing his Marilyn Monroe stuff. Like, it's like she's going off the deep end, just like her, just like um Juice Robinson, <laughs> just like Juice Robinson. But I thought they had a really, really good match. That's the best way I could say it. They had a really, really good match. Um, we had a strap match between Ricky Starks against Brian Danielson. Now, originally, Ricky Starks was supposed to compete against CM Punk. For the real world championship, but you know what we're going to be talking about after All Out. But instead, we were going to do him against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I'm like, the dude is like 70-something years old. We don't need to see him in a strap match. And thankfully, they had Brian Danielson coming back earlier than expected. And this was amazing. This was absolutely amazing. Both men were a bloody mess. They were a bloody fucking mess. Coming out of this uh, this pay-per-view. Pay but this was good. This was really, really good. Lots of insane moments. Like, I could go on and on about this, but my God, you gotta see that match. You have to see that match. If you love blood, this is one of them. Brian Danielson, he choked out well, he didn't choke out. Like, that was a nice callback, too. There was one part where he did a choke out sequence to Ricky Starks, which was also a callback to when he choked out Justin Roberts back in WWE. 
Now, I thought that was a nice callback, but he made Ricky Starks pass out. And Brian Danielson wins. He comes out to the final countdown, which that was the second time. I loved it. I think they should save the final countdown for big matches for Brian Danielson. But I, I loved it. I thought this was excellent. We had the Blackpool Combat Club, Claudio and Wheeler, taking on Eddie Kingston and Shibata. This was good. This was a good match. Really not much I can add to this, but Claudio, he knocked out Wheeler, not Wheeler Yuta. He knocked out Eddie Kingston with a European uppercut for the team to get the win. And like I said, I thought this was good. We had Kanosuke Takeshita taking on Kenny Omega. I thought this was amazing. This was fucking amazing. I, I enjoyed this match, dude. I really enjoyed this match. There was one spot that really sealed the deal for me. And that was the fucking avalanche blue thunderbomb. I have never seen an avalanche blue thunderbomb in my life. Sami Zayn would be proud. Like El Generico would be proud. Wherever he is. And you guys know what I'm talking about. But Kanosuke, he got a win again over Kenny Omega. And like I said, this was an excellent match. And you want to know how great this was? Shinsuke Nakamura actually tweeted out Take, referring to Takeshita. Because he knows he's proud of Takeshita. He, he's watching. You, you see it. And he's proud of him. Like, it was not a good day for Kenny Omega, and it was also not a good day for the Young Bucks. We had Bullet Club Gold taking on FTR and the Young Bucks. I thought this was a great match. Literally great match between these two. And um, all I can say is lots of insane spots. That's all I can tell you. Lots of insane spots in this eight-man tag. And... Bullet Club Gold, they get the win. And again, we're teasing a little bit more dissension with the Young Bucks and FTR. Now, the Young Bucks, they wanted to shake FTR's hand, but FTR refused. So, again, it's a nice little playback to what they did at All In. And in the main event, we had the International Championship on the line as John Moxley took on the champion, Orange Cassidy. And you want to know what's shocking about this? I'm just going to whisper it to you guys. John Moxley didn't even bleed in this match. What? John Moxley didn't bleed, but Orange Cassidy did? What type of What type of world are we living in? Brian Danielson bleeded, Ricky Starks bleeded. Fucking um Orange Cassidy ble- bled in this match. During this pay-per-view, but John Moxley not bleeding. Wow, that's all I can say. Wow, what type of madhouse are we living in? But this was an excellent match, an excellent main event, and this was Orange Cassidy's first singles pay-per-view main event. Now the story with Orange Cassidy was that his body was given out on him. Like, after every successful title defense that he's had, his body is starting to break. 
But these two, they went at it. They had an excellent, excellent match. And John Moxley has ended the reign of Freshly Squeeze. John Moxley won with the Death Rider and pinned pin Orange Cassidy to win the title. Great stuff. He's celebrating with the Blackpool Combat Club. And I'm not taking anything away from Orange Cassidy. That reign he had was outstanding. Was one of the best reigns that he's had. Well, one of the best championship runs in AEW history. That's just my honest opinion. I think that was one of the best runs. But all, all in all, I thought this was an excellent show from top to bottom. And it escaped from the bullshit that we're about to talk about. Now, last episode, I might as well get into this because this was the big story. The last episode, we talked about CM Punk and Jack Perry brawling backstage at All In. Brawling! Which deviated away from an outstanding historical moment for AEW and Wembley Stadium. And if you want to hear my thoughts about that and what I think Tony Khan should do, please go back to that last episode. Now, on September 2nd, it was announced by AEW that CM Punk, Phil Brooks, has been fired. Now, in a statement, All Elite Wrestling has terminated the wrestler and employment agreements between Philip Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk, and AEW with cause, effective immediately. The termination was confirmed today by Tony Khan, CEO, General Manager, and Head of Creative of AEW. Um, <clears throat> but continuing on. The termination follows a week-long internal investigation of an incident occurring backstage at All In. Following the investigation, the AEW Discipline Committee met and later convened with outside legal counsels before making an unanimous recommendation to con that CM Punk to be terminated with cause. Now, Khan offered a offered a following statement by saying this. Phil played an important role within AEW, and I thank him for his contributions. The termination of his AEW contract with cause is ultimately my decision and mine alone. Of course, I wish I didn't have to share this news, which may come as a disappointment to many of our fans. Nevertheless, I am making the decision in the best interest of the many amazing people who make AEW possible every week. Our talent, staff, venue operators and many others whose efforts are unsung but essential to bringing our fans great shows on television and at arenas and stadiums throughout the world. That was the statement by AEW. Now, what was the reaction backstage about him being let go? Corner Mike Johnson, a PW insider, he reports that the reaction backstage Depends on the person as some who are really down by it. Others, as you can imagine, feel it was the right move and are happy about it. Some people have stated they're happy Khan made the decision and they hope to move on with the focus on the promotion and shows. All right. Now, Meltzer also talked about this neutral witness statement about 
about um, CM Punk and Jack Perry. So if you didn't know, this is what we got. Another version, this is according to Meltzer, and this would be a neutral source who was not a wrestler but was there and witnessed it, has his version was the was that right after Punk, no, Perry came to the back, Punk went nose-to-nose with him aggressively and asking him if he had a problem. That person said Perry said he was just looking to get heat as a heel. Punk shoved him hard. Perry got in his face. In that version, he sucker punched him and went for a choke. People immediately broke it up and Khan was yelling at Punk to let him go. Now, so that should clear up some things for people wondering why Jack Perry was not let go. Now, Melzer tweeted out, The result of the investigation of the incident last Sunday led to this. The non-wrestler eyewitness report in the current issue of The Observer is probably the best description as to the what and the why. And David Bixispan said for what it's worth. Like, he actually chimed in. He, He knew about this, so... And continuing, like, do you want to know how difficult it was? This happened on the night of collision. The same night that they had to go up against college football and payback. Now, Tony Khan addressed CM Punk's firing on collision. So this was at the start of last week's collision. He said, Punk endangered the people backstage, including the staff and the production crew. He also stated that he never before until Sunday has he felt that his own security, safety, and his life were in danger at a wrestling show. He talked about how this was something he did not want to do, but ultimately it was a decision that he had that had to be made after an investigation. He was also talked about moving forward and wanting to put on a good show for the fans. He also addressed the fans live in the building before the show went on the air. And he shared the same thing that he said on the live broadcast. And there's going to be more to CM Punk on AEW's, on his release, that has yet to come out. And this is according to Brian and Dave of The Observer. They talked about the situation and Meltzer... Note that there's more to Punk's AEW release than what has been reported, but is but it's nothing as significant as to what had already been known. Now Melsa said did did it before the show as opposed to raiding until Monday, which that was the right decision to make on Tony Khan's part. He had to address the audience immediately because you don't want them to know like they paid good money to see. CM Punk when he's not even there anymore. But I guess he just felt he needed to get it out as soon as possible. But they had video surveillance footage. They already interviewed all the eyewitnesses. They had an outside investigation. They interviewed a lot of wrestlers who were not eyewitnesses. Just about the basic situation of what was going on there. And that was when they had their lawyers recommend he be gone whatever the disciplinary committee is and I don't know who recommended that he be gone 
And Tony Khan made a decision for him to be gone. I know people who were interviewed that were not there. And it was about the background. Just the history. Just the history and things like that along the way with... And Alvarez chimed in and said they were asking how things had changed over the last year. What they thought the solution to the problems would be. A lot of questions not related to the actual incident, but to all of the incidents and everything that has happened over the past year or so. Melser said he got fired over what happened on Sunday. But the lawyers and everybody else talked about a lot more than Sunday. They talked about everything. The stuff that that's come out. Lots of stuff that has come out. I mean, should it have been sooner? With the benefit of hindsight? Of course. It should have been a year ago. But hindsight is always whatever. When he came back, it wasn't going to work. It didn't work. It was a disaster. Uh, let's be serious. It was a disaster. And you know, there's so much more to it than it comes out. But a lot of big stuff has. The biggest thing was what happened on Sunday. And like everything that happened second week. I think he had a he had multiple deals. He had a performance contract and an employee contract, I believe. But I'm also sure that will all be cl clarified in the next 48 hours. Unquote. Now, addressing the situation with Tony Khan and CM Punk, CM Punk, like, like there was a report that CM Punk lunged. At Tony Khan. And he threatened to quit the promotion. And I said in the last episode. I said look if you don't like working here. Cut your losses. If he doesn't like working here. Let him go. He's not even worth the headache. Now. The incident was regrettable. And. Like there's more to the uh, story. That he lunged at Tony. Like. I don't know what's going on. Like, and I'm being real when I say this. Like, there was an incident that happened behind closed doors. And this is according to Wade Keller. And the witness did not see. And that might be what Khan was talking about during his press release. And the start of AEW collision. In reference to his safety and life being at risk. Keller talked about the incident between Punk and Khan. And this is what he said. And I quote. Tony only told people about, and my understanding is that there is something behind a closed door also that may come out or may not come out, depending on how all this is played out. When Punk quit and chewed out Tony, there was an element of that was not in front of the dozens of people that others have said they're trying to get the confirmation on, but I'm confident and based on my sourcing, which I won't get into. I think there's other elements of it that just than just the monitors. The closed door incident is separate from what happened in front of witnesses, as was described by Dave Meltzer. Meltzer said the following about the Lungeon incident that happened. 
He said it was probably stronger than that. Lundgren was, again, far too kind. If you saw the actual wording of it, of what was said, Lundgren was like, I was toning it down. It was more than Lundgren. And Alvarez said, and I have heard that when he moved towards Tony, whatever word you want to use, that the monitors were like, monitors fell off, fell on Tony Khan. As you noted, there are security camera footages. So that this was not something people were like. Well, how come there wasn't security camera footage of the brawl? Well, it's because that was inside the locker room. They don't have cameras in the locker room, but that, that was Gorilla. They had cameras all over the place. And you thought CM Punk had more drama? Like, he had an issue with William Regal last year when William Regal was in AEW. This was re reported by Bodyslam.net, Cassidy Hayes. Haynes of Bodyslam.net. He reported this during All Out. That there was a backstage incident between Regal and CM Punk. He cited multiple sources telling him that the incident happened when Regal made his AEW debut. And it was Punk who refused to shake his hand. He got into Regal's face and told him that he didn't like him because he was a stooge for Triple H. And didn't trust him. Regal and Triple H's friendship dates back in 1990s when they both wrestled in WCW. There's plenty of speculation about uh, Punk's future in pro wrestling. He noted in The Observer that people in WWE were cold on the idea of Punk ever returning to work for them. But the old saying in wrestling is, never say never. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. The situation with Regal could factor on how WWE feels about him coming back. Now, Brian Alvarez wrote on the F4W board about the incident. And this is what he said. Something happened on Regal's first night. And I don't know the details, but I know Regal didn't tell his friends about it for months. And when he did, he said he wasn't a big deal. I like Regal. And if you have a problem with Regal, you got a problem with me. Now, going back to the WWE thing. CM Punk was actually open to returning to WWE earlier this year. He wanted to leave AEW and come back to WWE. Now, Fightful Select, they reported that people close to Punk said the idea of him working with WWE again was on the table from, the, from his end. After being sidelined following surgery and the brawl with the Elite at last year's All Out, he returned to AEW TV in June as he had remained under contract with the promotion. Per the reports, Punk was open to leaving AEW last December. So much that he encouraged the idea so he could make a return to WWE. Now, they heard that he wanted to appear at the Royal Rumble, but it's unclear whether WWE was interested in the idea, nor whether AEW entertained the idea of releasing CM Punk. There was a rumored idea that Punk would return at the Royal Rumble, wrestle the person who would eventually eliminate him, which would be Kevin Owens, and that would have been the main event of Night 1's WrestleMania 39. Now, this rumored idea has not been confirmed, but it did make its way back to WWE talent. 
Now, this drama. Like, let, let's be real. Tony Khan had to do what's right. Tony Khan had to put his foot down. Tony Khan had to literally say, you know what, enough is enough. And he learned the hard way. You ha- It was a hard decision that you had to make. And you had to cut your losses. Like, would you rather stick with somebody who doesn't give a shit about the talent or the well-being of said talent? Or do you want to have people, and I mean this wholeheartedly, do you want to have people just deal with all the other bullshit? Like, do you want that? The answer is no. You don't want that. And as a matter of fact, you shouldn't have that in your promotion. You shouldn't have that. Like, Tony Khan made the right decision. Even though it was a hard decision to make, like, would you rather keep... the? Would you treat the infection and cut it out? Or do you keep the infection or let it spread and let it spread and then it eventually die? And then you eventually die. Like, and I'm using that analogy right there. You had to cut that infection. You had to let let it go and let it heal. Now, do I see CM Punk coming to WWE? The answer is no. And you know what it showed when I look back at all of this? Triple H was right. The WWE was right. Like, yeah, I get it. He talked to, like, Triple, Triple H talked to CM Punk. But why would I waste my time bringing him back? Now, if Triple H wants him back, it's not up to Vince McMahon. It's up to Nick Khan. It's up to Nick Khan to make that decision. Like, I honestly cannot stress enough on why you will want a headache. Like, even Seth Rollins called him a cancer. Like, do you want that? Do you want drama to happen backstage? If I was a wrestling promoter, I would not want CM Punk. Like, what does this mean for his future in pro wrestling? I don't know. Does he want to continue? That's up to him. That's his choice. That's his choice if he wants to continue. But I'm going to say this. Like, Tony Khan had to do what's right for the well-being of the talent. Tony Khan had to do what's what's right for the well-being of everybody behind the scenes. Tony Khan had to do what's right to make sure the talent and the fans are the top priorities. Everybody behind the scenes. And I know people would give him shit because, oh, he fired their top draw. I don't give a shit how much money you make. I don't give a shit how much of a big draw you are. But if you act like a piece of shit and you try to charge at your boss, you deserve to be fired. And I don't, and and I'm being real when I say this. I do not celebrate people losing their jobs. That's not me. But if you're a piece of shit and you act like a piece of shit, you deserve to be fired. You deserved it. And everything Triple... Like, I go back to that promo Triple H said to CM Punk during his uh, feud at Night of Champions. Like, he tries to see himself as a martyr. He didn't even last that long in AEW. And he has nobody to blame but himself. And you know what the sad thing is? The sad thing is, Kevin Nash even said it himself. He literally said that CM Punk needs mental health. He needs mental help. And 
it's sad to say it, but it's true. Definitely needs help. Needs to get that anger management up in par. Like, and, and I'm being real when I say that. Like, I cannot tell you why this was the right decision. If you can't act like a professional, then you need to, like literally, you need to evaluate your life choices. You need to. Like, you need to just step back, seek some help, and control your anger. And the reason I'm going to say this, CM Punk, he acts like a man-child. And that's something I do not like to say about CM Punk. But this is the facts. He's acting like a man-child. Like, yes, never say never. I know Zelina Vega even said that she she wants to see CM Punk back in WWE. But is it worth the headache? Is it worth all of the drama? I don't want CM Punk back. The only person who needs to make amends to this is CM Punk. The only person who needs to fix this issue is CM Punk. He has nobody to blame but himself. He has nobody to blame but himself. He lost his job because he just can't keep his mouth shut. And he can't act like a professional. Now, what does this mean for A. Steel? Well, A. Steel is fired from AEW. He's been released by AEW, and this was reported by PW Insider. Steel was released by AEW on, like, yesterday. Um, Steel has been working remotely instead of collision show, of at collision shows to prevent issues between him and talent. That's one of the reasons. And now A. Steel is out of a job. Now, I don't know where their their mind is, but it's, it's just, I don't know. That's the best way I could say it. Like, CM Punk, like, you rarely hear drama. And, and I say this a lot. You rarely hear drama coming from WWE. Rarely. It's just, it just defies everything. You hear a lot of shit when... Like, if there was drama from WWE, you would know about it. But they kept it private and closed doors. But all of this CM Punk nonsense, I'm, I'm done talking about CM Punk. And I'm being real when I say this. I'm done talking about CM Punk. I'm, I'm done. I want to move on from this. I am, I'm just tired. And it's frustrating, to say the least. Like, it's legitimately frustrating... To talk about this guy. Just. I cannot tell you how much. We rooted for him to make his return. When he came back. We all rooted for him. We wanted him to succeed. And he blew it. He blew it. But that's on him. He has nobody to blame but himself. But I'm moving on from CM Punk. I don't want to hear nothing about CM Punk. Like I'm just done. I'm done with it. Now, let's move away from this and let's bring in some good news. We got some good news regarding Thunder Rosa. Somebody I miss dear in my heart in the ring. Thunder Rosa could be headed back to the ring pretty soon. Now, her match, her last match was a trios competition 
where she teamed with Tony and Hikaru to take on Emmy, Sakura, Marina Shafir, and Nyla Rose back in August last year. Now, it was reported that Rosa was training for her return in San Antonio with former WWE star Fanaki. While away in the ring, she was also doing her Spanish commentary for All Elite Wrestling. Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful reported that Rosa could return to the ring at almost any time, and creative has produced, has been uh, produced for her. Now, AEW sources indicated that she's ready to return, but exactly when that happens is unknown. And I cannot wait to see Thunder Rosa come back. I really can't. Like, she is so good. And I think she will be... Honestly, she would be the right person to bring that women's division up a little bit, but we might see her on collision a little bit more. But um, I thought this was... Like, I, I'm just happy that she's going to be back pretty soon. That's good news. So, I can't wait. Thunder Rosa is, a, is amazing. AEW Dynamite took place at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum in Indianapolis, Indiana. The fallout of All Out. And overall, I thought this was a pretty good episode. Setting up some next feuds that might be planned. And, of course, building towards Grand Slam which is on the 20th of September. Now, we kicked off the show with Orange Cassidy, the former AEW International Champion, got a big ovation from the crowd, and he thanks the fans and reveals that he was told to stay home, but decided not to. Championship or no championship, I will be here every single week because I'm freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy. And get this... He does not have a catchphrase. Short, sweet, and to the point. Loved every second of it. I loved it. Now, speaking of the international championship, we had John Moxley defending the AEW international championship against AR Fox. And I thought this was a really good match. I thought this was a really, really good match between these two. And John Moxley, he retained over AR Fox. After the match, we see Darby Allen showing respect to uh, A.R. Fox in the ring. And Nick Wayne is being confronted by Christian Cage. He says, look, I watched your father's footage. And he's even worse than he thought. Cage suggests if Wayne wants a real mentor, you should look at a champion. And again, I, I like this. I thought this was really, really good. And teasing a little dissension between, like, Christian Cage is trying to play mind games with um, Nick Wayne, which that gets, that gets an interest out of me, to say the least. Now, we went from one championship match to another championship match as Chris Statlander defended her TBS championship against Emmy Sakura. I thought these two had a really good match. I thought this was good for what it was with um, Chris Statlander retaining over Emmy Sakura and um, really not much I could say about it. It was good for what it was. They showed Roderick Strong backstage with the kingdom and 
He's wearing that neck brace. And he claims his parents didn't know how to do that due to his mother having drug issues and his father being an alcoholic. Wrestling gave him an opportunity as nobody judged him. This isn't a business to him. It's everything. Adam Cole already knew that. And he says he grew up alone and will win the tournament alone. And and that, that was good. That was good for what it was. Like, I thought this was a good promo. We had less sex gods taking on Aussie Open. I thought this was this was a nice match. Well, the sex gods getting the win, but it was the post match that got my attention. Jericho tries to raise Sammy Guevara's hand after, but he pulls his arm down, then pushes Jericho away. They start shoving each other back and forth until security gets in the ring, and Guevara walks out on his partner. So I don't know where this could be going, but I like it. That's the best way I could say it. I like it. But we, I think it's going to lead to Guevara eventually reaching the breaking point and leaving Chris Jericho for good. But we'll see. They showed a video package from All Out as Ricky Starks talks about how Brian Danielson did not make him submit, which is true. He did not make him submit. He passed out. Um... He wants more opportunities or one day he will quit. And he doesn't know, he doesn't want anyone to knock on his door to ask him back. Ricky Starks is a fucking beast when it comes to his promos, dude. Like, he has star written all over him. Like, it would be amazing if they do, like, it would be a shock if they don't pull the trigger on pushing him as, like, a big deal. And all I can say is they, they need to pull the trigger on this guy. Um, <clears throat> anyway, we had Rene Paquette, who was backstage with Kanosuke Takeshita, and Don Callis. Callis says he's the new god of pro wrestling, and next week they will reveal... Who Takeshita's next target is going to be. Who could it be? We don't know. But I'm curious to see what's next. What I thought was the highlight of the entire show was MJF and Samoa Joe. This was the best thing on the entire show. MJF is in the ring, okay? He's in the ring. And he realized September 20th, is Grand Slam, which will take place in New York, New York, is going to take place in the good old New York at Arthur Ashe Stadium. And he assures whoever wins the tournament will find out that the hard way that nobody is on the level of the devil. And he says there... There might be one person who needs to be taught a lesson. And before he can continue, out comes Samoa Joe. Now, Joe asks, what's the problem, kid? MJF assumes Joe confused his entrance music for an ice cream truck, which that's a reference to Samoa Joe playing Sweet Tooth on Twisted Metal. 
Now, Joe says the last time he had anything to do with an ice cream truck was be was busy being the biggest star on the other, other company's network, which is true, which is on Peacock. And if you have not seen um, Twisted Metal on Peacock, I would recommend that you guys watch it. It's really good. He once again asks, what's the problem, kid? And JF then takes a cheap shot, a cheap joke of his own at Joe. Joe calls him a kid again, and MJF says, if you do it again, I'm going to knock your teeth down your throat. He says, Joe wants to skip the line before there was a whole tournament. And then says, it's story time with MJF. And he recalls having a tryout with WWE, but got pulled aside by William Regal, and we all know the story about him being too young. We know how the story ended as he knocked Regal out and sent him backpacking to NXT. And if Joe played his cards right, you will be next. He recalls being told he could be a security guard to walk a legend to the ring. And that is a callback to NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. And MJF recalls being... Um shoving him into a brick wall that night. And he did it because he knew he could get away with it, but he's not a boy anymore. He's a generational talent, and he tells Joe to stay out of his way, or else I'm going to kill you. And Joe says, it was it was a point beautifully made. He didn't think of him as a kid when he pushed him, but he thought of him as a little bitch. Now, here's a rule of thumb. Do not slap Samoa Joe. MJF slapped him. Joe says, I won't react, but I will enter the tournament and beat everyone in it. MJF looks to leave the ring, but Joe attacks him. He holds up the title before MJF low blows him, bites Joe, stomps away on him, and Joe spikes MJF and looks for a muscle buster until Adam Cole comes in and chases him out. MJF and Cole go back up with the doctors, and you hear MJF screaming, I can't feel my arm, I can't feel my arm, again, selling the injury on his neck. Strong comes out, and he's screaming, Cole! Cole! Pointing out that Cole doesn't care about him. So he's coming out for his match against Trent Beretta in the quarterfinals of the Grand Slam tournament. And I thought they had a good match. I thought they had a good match with um, Roderick Strong advancing in the semifinals of the tournament. And if I could pull up the uh, the bracket, I might as well do that real quick. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. For AEW. To see who will face uh, MJF. Now in this bracket. We see. Roderick Strong. He advances over whoever beats. Whoever wins against Darby Allen and Nick Wayne. Which we will talk about. We have Penta. And Jay Lethal. And Samoa Joe against Jeff Hardy. That, that was filmed on Rampage. Now. If I had to pick, I think Samoa Joe goes to the finals 
And I could see Darby Allen going to the finals. Or maybe it would make sense for Roderick Strong to go to the finals, but I think Darby would make the most sense. It could be Penta or Roddy. Like, it could be either or. You never know. Because it could be literally unpredictable. And unpredictability is a good thing. But I thought this was good. Now, we go to Tony Storm, who's backstage with Renee Paquette. My goodness, man. Every time I see Tony Storm just go, just losing it, it's like she's losing her sanity. Um, She doesn't remember what happened at All Out due to how many performances she, she has made. Storm says next week there's a sneak peek into her life. Until then, you know what they say. Chin up. Tits out and watch for a shoe. So she leaves and <laughs> Tony Storm throws a shoe at Renee Paquette. That's the second time this happened. And I, I love this. Like, I love this version of Tony Storm. Now, if I'm correct, she's going to be in the Fatal 4-Way with Hikaru Shida. Um, I, I don't know who else. But I know she's going to be in a fatal four-way to determine who faces Soraya for the uh, AEW Women's Championship. And that should be pretty fun. Definitely looking forward to that. And I'm just being real when I say that. But I think that should be pretty fun. Tony Skiavon is in the ring. With Hangman Adam Page. And he congratulates him on winning the the over-the-budget battle royal. And he got the call about that match on Saturday. And he booked a flight and won the match and given the money to the Chicago Education Fund. It's near and dear to him due to him being a teacher... And he shouts out the professions, saying they're underfunded and underappreciated. However, however, Paige wants to look forward for the rest of 2023 and what he wants to do. But he is interrupted by Mogul Embassy, Prince Nana and Swerve Strickland. Now he says, being in the coffin gives you perspective and makes you think. And the first person he thought about was Paige. He asked if he was doing charity now and and he's and has become a mascot for AEW. He also points out that he was doing charity on a pre-show and Paige doesn't have the shame for himself. So he so he will have shame for him. Strickland says Paige was the cornerstone of AEW originally and was handpicked. He went all the way to become on being the world champion and setting records at all in off his back. Strickland claims Paige doesn't want it anymore and pointing out that he hasn't had any new wrestling gear or new merchandise in almost a year. He also thinks Paige has been eating good and is showing that he doesn't have single matches or promos anymore. He thinks Paige has gotten comfortable if he had Paige's opportunities. Strickland believes he would be the first black AEW world champion by now. 
uh, AEW. No, he gives Paige two options. Fade away, and I will take the spot, or he cowboys up to show everyone what cowboy shit is all about. If he chooses to do this with him, I will walk him like a dog. And either way, he's coming for that spot, and Paige acts like he doesn't want it. Paige says if he goes for the back and acts for a match, he'll get a tone. But he's done with this. Strickland says it's a shame his wife and child have to see him like this, which fires up Brian, which fires up uh, Paige to hit Strickland, but he gets jumped by Brian Cage from behind. And that's going to lead to their match, Brian Cage against Hangman Page, uh, next week. So definitely looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to this feud with Swerve and Hangman Page. I think that's going to be really, really interesting. Now in the main event, we had Darby Allen taking on Nick Wayne. I thought this was a great main event to close out uh, Dynamite with Darby Allen getting the win. I I enjoyed this. Like I said, I thought this was really good. And again, we could tease a little bit of dissension with... um, with Darby and Nick Wayne. Christian Cage is going to be playing that role as well. And I love it. But overall, I thought Dynamite was really good. Hey you. Yes, I'm talking to you. Do you like video games? Do you like watching me play video games? Are you into gaming? Well, what better way to see me in action playing different types of games like Fall Guys, uh, Splatoon 2, Chroma Squad, and many others? What better way to find me on Twitch? Twitch is my favorite place to stream, and, uh... All I can say is you can, you're going to see greatness in me and gaming. Because I like to entertain my followers and just chat with them. See how their lives are, how their lives are going. And you get to watch everything that I do for fun. I got, it's been four years since I got back into streaming, you know? Like, I was, the last game I streamed was uh, Overwatch. But if you or your friends like video games as much as I do, and you want to see me play it on Twitch, which I stream every Saturday, make sure you follow me on Twitch at Shino Phoenix. Just Shino Phoenix. And you get to see how fun it is to be a Twitch streamer. If you want to be a Twitch streamer yourself, make sure you make an account and you get to do great things as well. So, again, make sure you follow me, twitch.tv slash Shino Phoenix. Once again, follow me, Shino Phoenix. And now, back to our daily show. Now, as we all know, WWE will be doing their next Saudi show, which is usually two events per year. 
Now, they have a lockdown in plans for their next show when they return. The company has a 10-year partnership with the Saudi General Sports Authority, and WWE is paid big money to host two events in the country per year. WWE held its first 2023 premium live event in the country earlier this year with Night of Champions that showed Seth Rollins winning the World Heavyweight Title Tournament Finals over AJ Styles and KO and Sammy retaining their tag titles over Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. Per PW Insider, they report that the Crown Jewel event will emanate from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia on Saturday, November 4th. Historically, Saudi shows air in the afternoon, and this will likely be a no different. So just to give you all the rundown, here's what the uh, updated premium live event schedule is going to look like. On Sunday, no, on Saturday, September 30th, there will be NXT No Mercy. October 7th will be Fastlane. November 4th will be Saudi will be the Saudi show, Crown Jewel. And of course... November 25th, their other big event will be Survivor Series. Now, I don't know if it's going to be Raw versus SmackDown because I don't want that. I like the War Games concept. I think the War Games concept is better. And I, look, the last Saudi show they did was freaking great. I'm not going to lie and say it. It was great. Because not only that, the Bloodline storyline was great. And I believe Asuka also ended Bianca's reign as champion at that time. And I honestly think that they they might do another good show in Saudi. Like, I really enjoyed their first show they did. Not the first show, but the show they did this year. That was one of their best, in my honest opinion. I think it was one of their best. Hopefully this one can exceed that. And November 4th should be pretty interesting. Depending on what the card they got built for uh, for this Crown Jewel event. You know what name we haven't heard in a while? Carlito. Carlito. It's been a while since fans... Last heard of Carlito when um, he signed with the company. And it was reported that he had signed with the company. We saw him at Backlash. We saw him at Backlash and he took part of the San Juan street fight between Damian Priest and Bad Bunny, which still up there is one of my favorite matches of the year. He helped the LWO and Savio Vega even the odds against the Judgment Day and against Finn Balor and Dominic Mysterio. In June, Carlito pulled out of an independent booking and Devon Nicholson claimed that Carlito told him that he is signed with WWE to make a return. Now the question is, where is Carlito? Because Carlito was reportedly slated to start full-time early July with him to return on SmackDown. But plans were nixed due to the Bloodline um, segment that ran long. They had to cut Carlito's uh, segment. 
While speaking with the Observer, Dave Meltzer noted that Carlito is still waiting for a return. Both Meltzer and Alvarez said that he signed. He signed at the start of July. And all like I'm just asking, where is he? Like, I want to see Carlito. I want to see... Like, he was signed for a while, and they did nothing with him. I don't know if they're going to do something with Carlito. Like, they have to plan, like, a major, major return. Maybe LWO? Because they still there's still some unfinished business right there. Like, I would love to see that storyline finish. Maybe Santos turns heel. That's one thing I could see. But I, I want to see Carlito do something in WWE. Because you signed him. You're not doing nothing with him. Like, please, do something with this guy. I'm not asking for much. Do something with him. So, hopefully, they can find some use for him. Now, WWE, they did their superstar spectacle show. And the great Kali made an appearance. And he pretty much said he has one more match left in him. And Kali was one of WWE's biggest India stars in the company alongside Jinder Mahal. He hasn't wrestled since the 50-man Greatest Royal Rumble match on April of 2018. Now, the former WWE World Heavyweight Champion was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2021 after departing from the company in November of 2014. So, I, I if you want me to ask, if there was one match that's left in him, who would it be against? The only name that would make sense is Omos. I think that's the only name that would make sense. But, if that's one match he wants to go out with, put pair him up against another giant. That would be... Um, Nice. But I think Vince will like that. But speaking of which, let's talk about this Endeavor WWE merger. Now, this past April, just to give you the high speed of everything, WWE announced that they agreed to be acquired by Endeavor. And with the idea of WWE and UFC to merge to create a new public, publicly... Uh, traded company under the TKO group holdings names. Although Endeavor will own WWE and both UFC and WWE are still under the same umbrella, they will still be run as a separate entity with Vince McMahon running the wrestling side of things and Triple H as the head of creative. Because of the merger layoffs are expected, which I'm going to guess next week, uh, there will be people at Endeavor and departments that can handle things at certain WWE departments. Um, <clears throat> Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics noted in a tweet that Nick Khan sent out a message to WWE staff noting that the merger will be completed next Tuesday on September 12th. An official press release regarding this is expected to be released soon. Now WWE issued the following. 
um, if I could read this. Endeavor is a global sports and in- entertainment company home to many of the world's most dynamic, engaging storytellers, brands, live events, and experiences. The company is comprised by industry leaders, including the entertainment uh, agency WME, sports fashion, events, and media company IMG, premier MMA organization UFC. The Endeavor Network specializes in talent representations, sports operation, and adversary event and experiences, management, media, production, and distribution, experimental marketing, and brand licensing. So expect the announcement to be made on August, not August, September 12th, that the merger will be completed. And once that announcement is there, we don't know who's going to be on the chopping block. We don't know who's going to be on the chopping block And I know everybody's going to be fearing for their jobs. And I know that 100%. So get ready. Because it's going to happen. It's legitimately going to happen. Monday Night Raw took place at the Spectrum Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. And let's see. How would I describe this show? It wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad show. There were some good things on this show. Especially that main event. We, we're we definitely going to be talking about that main event. Because that main event was... Uh, chef's kiss. Because this was literally the focus of the entire show. Was the Intercontinental Championship. And you know how much I love... Love, 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 love... How WWE puts emphasis on the IC title. And it's literally the most prestigious title. The story was, can Gunther break the Honky Tonk Man's record? Or can Gable break the record? Well, you're about to find out. Jey Uso kicks off the show, and he welcomes fans to Monday Night Raw. Then says he knows he was only gone for two or three weeks. He said it felt like a lot longer... Um, but he felt that he kept hitting his breaking point on television every week. He said Cody Rhodes unexpectedly called him, hence why he's here on the main event Mondays by himself. Sami Zayn comes out, and I love this because Sami Zayn and Jey Uso, they were close friends in the bloodline. He makes his way down the ring, and he tells Jay that... It's crazy to see him on Raw. And he says there are a lot of people that will have a big problem with him being here. And himself and Kevin Owens haven't always seen eye to eye about him. He just, he says, I wanted to be the first person Jay said on Raw. Like he wanted to be the first person to say, welcome to Raw. And I'm happy to be here. He knows the kind of guy Jay is. And despite how hard it is, how hard it was. He broke free and he's standing on his own two feet. To become who he's always been. Zane says he knows that him and Jay have a long history. But I'm proud of you. He extends his hand to shake it. But Zane says, like Jay doesn't shake it. He says, Zane says, look, it's fine. 
And he's around when he's ready. Now he looks to take head to the back, but Jay stops him and says, look, that wasn't very oofsy of, of me. He extends his own hand out to Zane, but he doesn't take it. And instead, he hugs him instead. Now, that was a nice moment. I thought this opening part was really good. Now, you may be wondering, where was Kevin Owens? Why Kevin Owens wasn't on the show? Well, according to PW Insider, the original plan called for Owens to appear and wrestle JD in a singles match. The report noted while it was stated Kevin Owens was not at Raw, he was backstage and late in the day. He was scheduled, excuse me, he was scheduled to wrestle JD McDonough, so there was change of plan. So that's one of the reasons why we didn't get to see um, Kevin Owens compete. But just wanted to give y'all the rundown on that. Now, Drew McIntyre, he makes his way to the ring. And he stares down at Jay because, remember, he looks... Remember what Jay did to uh, Drew during his feud with Roman. Now, Zayn explains that it's his first night back and McIntyre proceeds. And the same... Matt Riddle follows and he does the same thing that McIntyre did. And I believe McIntyre also... No... Matt Riddle also feuded with Roman Reigns. And Jay was also a part of that feud. So I love the story that there's still some trust issues between Jay. Which I think that's a good story you could tell. In my honest opinion. That is a good, good story to tell. We go backstage. And we see Adam Pearce chatting with Ricochet. About his future. Seth Rollins comes in and Adam Pierce is asking him, what are you doing here? Given that he wasn't cleared by medical. Now, and Rick, like Rollins assures him, look, I'm fine. And Ricochet tries reasoning with him and Rollins reiterates his previous remarks and he walks away. And it's going to lead to what's going to happen on the, uh, when Rollins does his segment. We had the Tornado Tag Team match between the Viking Raiders against Drew and Matt Riddle. This was this was fine, to say the least. I thought this was fine for what it was. Um, Kofi got involved. He was trying to help out. He accidentally hit Trouble in Paradise on Matt Riddle, which caused a distraction. Um, the Viking Raiders hit their... Um, uh, it's not the Viking experience. It's... Valhalla, that's what it's called, I believe, on Matt Riddle through a table. And the Viking Raiders, once again, they got a win. They once again got a win. And it was the same thing. Drew McIntyre fucked over New Day, and this time Kofi fucked over McIntyre and Riddle. This has to lead to a match between these two, in my honest opinion. Seth Rollins, he's coming out. And he's welcoming fans to Monday Night Rollins. And he introduces himself and says, Two days ago, Nakamura did everything he said he would. He said Nakamura dropped bombs on his back all night long. 
And he didn't know a certain point during the match where he didn't know if he could get up or continue. But despite that, I am still the world heavyweight champion. He says, something hasn't sat right with me since payback. And that's the fact that Nakamura was able to walk out of the building while I was pushed out of the, in a wheelchair by my, his wife. He calls out Nakamura to the ring. Nakamura's music hits. And he appears on the ramp. He tells Rollins, get inside the ring because I have a proposal, uh, a proposition for him. He remains on the ramp and Rollins says there's only one way to get him in this ring. And it's by offering him another World Heavyweight Championship match. He turns back around. He speaks in Japanese. Rollins says he's assuming Nakamura is accepting his challenge. And Nakamura says no. Rollins, he he heard enough and he... Him and Nakamura, they're brawling with one another. Ricochet joins in. And... I'm looking at this and I'm like, Nakamura could just accept this challenge right now and beat a weakened 50% Seth Rollins. That's just me being real. But, um, so you got officials separating them. And this was an interesting segment. I don't know why Nakamura didn't say yes. What, you want not, you want Rollins at 100%? You want Rollins at 100%? You could beat him right now. That's just how I feel. In my honest take. Now after the break, Adam Pierce he's chewing out um, Seth Rollins. He explains that he's trying to protect him. But Rollins says, I'm having none of this. And he storms off. Now this later led to Ricochet taking on Nakamura. This wasn't okay match it could be better if they go full gear but I did not like the ending for a reason Nakamura hit Ricochet with a chair and it caused a disqualification now I'm looking at my looking at this and I'm asking why is Nakamura get going for the DQ when he like why can't WWE book him to win a clean match against Ricochet Clearly, they're still building him up against Seth Rollins. I mean, a clean win would be perfect. You know what I'm saying? But after the match, Nakamura hits Ricochet with the chair, gets his head between it, looks for the Kinshasa. Seth Rollins runs in to, um... Like, Seth Rollins runs in to make the save. He goes over the top rope, levels several... He levels several officials on the outside. Nakamura then further beats down um, Seth Rollins. And there's going to be a stipulation for this match. This this is clearly going to be a match at Payback. Not Payback, uh, Fastlane. Honestly, I love heel Nakamura. I think heel Nakamura is great. But it's up to WWE to actually make Nakamura feel like a big deal. And feel like a threat. That's just how I see it. The Judgment Day. They're in the ring. Damian Priest calls for everybody to rise for the Judgment Day. And Dominic Mysterio looks to speak. And he gets cut off by booze, which is so great to hear. 
He continues to speak anyway and brags that Rhea Ripley is holding the Women's World Champion. And you got Priest and Balor as the new undisputed tag team champions. Balor congratulates Dominic on one year in the Judgment Day. And he thanks Ripley for being the voice of reason. He then tells Priest that despite their ups and downs, they managed to make it to the top and gives a shout out to both to him and J.D. McDonough for having his back for the past 20 years and himself for becoming the Grand Slam champion. Ripley says that she gave Priest and Balor an ultimatum last week, but they managed to rise on the occasion. She says that um, one thing has been aggravating her and the fact that their focus hasn't been about them and their accomplishments, but the focus is on Jay Uso taking the attention away from them as the newest member of Raw. Now she continues, now she says that as she's concerned, the bloodline has fallen as they have risen. Then J.D. McDonough comes in and he has something in his hand. Now Priest tells him to make a reason to come out and he says look I have a good reason and they owe him one for what he did at payback to help them out he says change because of Ripley saying changes are needed in the judgment day something that he agreed with he tells Priest that the briefcase has got to go and he has a reason for that he has a reason as to why the briefcase has to go. And the reason being was because he has his own custom purple money in the bank briefcase and it has senior money in the bank off the top, which is on the WWE shop. He says, even though Kevin Owens isn't here tonight, well, Priest holds it up and Sami Zayn comes out and he says, KO isn't here tonight. They didn't seriously think that him and Owens would let their loss slide. He says, when I look in the ring, he doesn't see five champions, but rather five championship stealing turds. And he was trying to get a turd chant. I don't know, that did not work out. Um, he says, a special beating is owed to Dominic for being the deciding factor at payback and challenges him to a match. McDonough intervenes and says, Dominic won't be fighting anyone. He says, Dominic wasn't the only one who interrupted and interfered and, ch and he challenges Zayn to a match between the two of them and Zayn pretty much accepted. So, I thought this was, this was fine. This was a fine segment. We had Shayna Baszler taking on Zoe Starks. I thought this was a okay match. It was fine for what it was. Shayna Baszler won with the Coquina Clutch. And after the match, Baszler and Stark, they fist bumped as a show of respect. Now, Zoe Starks has been getting a lot of uh, praise within the company. And for good reasons. Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful Select reported that Starks has been getting great reviews from talent she's worked with on the main roster. In addition to several backstage for how she's handled the call-up and the duties associated with it. She was praised at the time for her resilience in returning from a knee injury and not missing a step. This would pay off with her getting looked on main events 
and an appearance in the Women's Royal Rumble match earlier this year. So I think the sky is bright for uh, for Zoe Starks, and that's a good thing. That's a really good thing to hear. And I really mean that 100%. I think she's going to be a bright star heading into... Um, Heading into the future of this company. I honestly believe that 100%. And she's going to be a big deal. Believe me. She is going to be a major, major player in the women's division when that time comes. And like I say, she's amazing. She is literally amazing. And she's a future main eventer for the women's division. I'm calling that right now. A future main eventer. We go backstage to J.D. McDonough where Finn Balor suggests making McDonough a member of the group. Damian Priest says, look, he still needs to prove himself. And Balor tells him, look, they might not be undisputed tag team champions if not for McDonough. He asks Dominic, what do you think? And he tells him, look, he's cool with whatever. And Ripley is asked for her opinion. And she tells him that she wants to wait and see how he does against Sami Zayn. She tells him to go check on McDonough. And Bala invites Priest um, to tag along. Dominic looks to join them, but Rhea Ripley stops him and tells him that she needs him to make sure everything goes smoothly. With McDonough goes smoothly. So... That's one thing you could keep an eye on. Raquel Rodriguez took on Chelsea Green. This was filler. If you're wondering where Piper Niven was, she was dealing with a short illness. She was dealing with a short illness. That's why we haven't seen Chelsea, we haven't seen uh, Piper Niven again. Those women's tag titles are cursed. But anyway. After the match, Raquel Rodriguez grabs the mic. She says, I spoke with Adam Pierce about what happened during her match at Payback. She says, Pierce has granted her a rematch for the title next week with Dom being banned from ringside. So, next week, I know this is going to be good, but I don't think Raquel is winning this again. No, I don't think Raquel is beating Rhea again. I would be shocked if Raquel won. I would be absolutely shocked. Backstage, we see Drew McIntyre, who's upset. He's looking for Kofi Kingston, and Matt Riddle sees him and tells him, look, calm down. But McIntyre, he's getting worked up, and Kingston then walks in, and he's like apologizing to what happened earlier tonight. Riddle says it's cool, but McIntyre's not forgiven. He tells Kingston he's keeping an eye open in case any more... Accidents happened. I feel like this is going to lead to the New Day taking on Riddle and McIntyre. I think that's the destination we're going to be heading. But it was um, it was an interesting segment. But then we get weird. We get weird, folks. Miz TV. He welcomes fans, Miz does, to the show. And he says, I did not lose at payback because I was robbed. He then introduces his guest, John Cena. And everybody should get the reference. 
Everybody should get the joke. We can't see him because he was not even there. They even did his... The cameraman did his entrance as well. Like, filmed it like he... um, Like he was doing his entrance. So he welcomes the invisible Cena to the ring. And he chews him out for take for his job as a referee. Then says something feels weird. He thinks I he knows what's going on. He says, um, he's been able to see through John Cena for the post for the past 18 years. Miz asks if LA Knight paid Cena, if he offered him a job, or if he screwed him over. He says Knight's victory should be thrown out and tells Cena that he should be thrown out of the ring. Cena refuses to do so, like, and he shoves Miz. He takes off his jacket, fights the invisible Cena, hits him with the skull-crushing finale, and then makes it clear that there's nothing invisible about what's happening, what happened to him at Payback. He said Knight took the easy way out and challenged him to a one-on-one match with no stipulations. He says Knight will fade away because his future success is a relic as Cena is in the ring. Then adds on that the fairy tale of Knight will become crashing and burning down with him. I think, I take it that loss to LA Knight at Payback made Miz lose his brain cells. Talking to an invisible person. Little Jimmy would like to have a word with you. Little Jimmy would like to have a word with you. Now, we go backstage to Jey Uso, who runs into Adam Pearce. And he warns him that someone from Raw will be traded to SmackDown. As per orders of upper management. And there are some Raw, some from Raw, who are bound to be angry. Which brings out Tommaso Ciampa. He approaches Pierce and asks to talk. And he invites him to his office to finish up their conversation. And for anyone asking, no, this is not him. It's not Tommaso Ciampa. The only person that makes sense is Cody Rhodes. Because if you want to finish the story, what better way to finish the story than by having Cody Rhodes go to SmackDown? That's a nice trade. Ciampa... I think he's discussing what's going on with Johnny Gargano. That's what I want to know. What the hell is up with Johnny? Where is Johnny Gargano? That That's what I want to know. But anyway, it's not Tommaso Ciampa, it's Cody Rhodes. One fair trade is another man's uh, fair game. We... Dude, we have J.D. McDonough versus Sami Zayn. I thought this was a fine match. I thought this was fine for what it was. J.D. McDonough, he got the roll-up win over Sami Zayn, and I rolled my eyes. You know how much I don't like roll-up finishes. But um, post-match, Zayn is beating down on Dominic. Dominic tries to escape, but Zayn prevents him from doing so. And... He delivers an exploder, sets up a halluva kick, but McDonough pulls Dominic out of the ring. And McDonough tells Dominic to leave, and he does just that. And little does he know, he gets attacked with a halluva kick by Sami Zayn. So that was, an, that was fine. That was fine. 
the Judgment Day, they're celebrating backstage over McDonough's win. They're looking to head out, but Dominic approaches Jay Uso. And he's like, I know what's been going through your... was you've been going through, given that they both have WWE Hall of Fame fathers. He says, from a man who didn't have a family to a man who now has a Titus family, he gets it. He says, Jay has no family and no one likes him. But Rhea and Judgment Day changed that. He says, all of them are equal and he offers him a spot. He tells him to think over it and thanks him for hearing him out. We all know Jay is not joining the Judgment Day. And I can see him feuding with the Judgment Day. I think that's the direction they're going to be going with. In the main event, we had an excellent Intercontinental Championship match between Gunther and Chad Gable. Chad Gable had his family in the crowd. I love this. I honestly love this. I thought this was excellent. I thought this was perfect. They had me believe that Chad Gable was going to be the one to beat Gunther. And I still think he is. But he came damn near close. Gunther, he hit a powerbomb, hit that lariat right in front of his kids to win and retain the Intercontinental Championship, which means, as of as I'm recording this, he's officially surpassed Gunther. He's officially surpassed Honky Tonk Man's record, which I loved. I thought this was the right call. And to to be a big heel, to beat Chad Gable in front of his family, and his kids were crying. That gives Chad Gable a reason to, to go after the Intercontinental title. And I think it would be really perfect if they do it at Fastlane. And Chad Gable wins right there. But I love that main event. That main event was fantastic. And congratulations to Gunther for making history. Now, switching gears, let's talk about NXT. I thought NXT was a really good show. We opened things off with Tiffany Stratton defending her title against Kiana James. I thought these two women, they did good. And I, I enjoyed this match. Tiffany Stratton won with the prettiest moonsault ever, the PME. But after the match, Becky Lynch appears on the Titantron, congratulating Stratton on her win. And she says, I have won everything in WWE except the NXT Women's title. Then says, it's time the man has come around to NXT. And informs her that they will be colliding in a title match, which is going to be the main event next week so I don't know and I'm being real I don't know if they're gonna pull the trigger I think it would be a mistake like if it if it's them pulling the trigger giving Becky the token title run only for Tiffany to win it that would be a mistake I don't know but we'll see how they book this um we had a really good match against Ilya Dragunov and Oro Mensa I think all of the matches on NXT was really good. Um, post-match, Wes Lee comes out. And he tells Dragunov that I have a date with Destiny. Your date with Destiny will be put on hold because I want the shot at Carmelo Hayes. Now, Dragunov disagrees and says Hayes is his. 
and then says, he will whip everyone who stands in my way. And he dares Dragunov to try him. And he's like, I've been through hell and back, which brings out Carmelo Hayes to pretty much announce that next week is going to be Wesley against Dragunov. And the winner of that match will face Carmelo Hayes for the NXT title at No Mercy. I still smell a triple threat match between the two of them. I think that's the destination we're going to be heading. We have the Group B of the NXT Global Heritage Invitational. Nathan Frazier took on Duke Hudson. I thought this was good. With Nathan Frazier getting the win. And he's up on the board with two points. We had Tyler Bate taking on Daba Kato. Tyler Bate is a freaking nature. The fact that he picked up Daba Kato in the fireman's carry position and he spinned him around like it was nothing, that boy's strong. That boy's strong. But Tyler Bate, he beat Daba Kato to win. We had Ali taking on Dragon Lee with Dominic as the guest referee. And the winner of that match will face Dom at No Mercy. Now, Dom did a fast count on Dragon Lee because he knows that Dragon Lee could beat him. And after the match, Ali clocks Dominic, shakes Lee's hand, and he's making it clear, like, I didn't want to take the shortcut to get the win. So we know where that's going. So... Dom will be defending his title against Ali. And that should be pretty good. That should be a pretty good match. We go backstage to Trick Williams and Ilya Dragunov. And he tells Williams that, look, I meant everything I said last week. And he asks why he told Carmelo Hayes he could beat him. Williams asserts that Hayes can overcome overcome him. And Dragunov asks if he's sure... And he tells Williams, you can either keep lying to Hayes or keep lying to yourself. Which is a really good line right there. That was a really, really good line. We had Butch taking on Axiom in the Group A NXT Global Heritage Invitational. This was great. And this ended in a 12-minute draw. And both of them did great. I'm not going to lie. They did Absolutely fantastic. Thea Hale took on Gigi Dolan. And the story they're telling is... JC Jane is corrupting Thea Hale. And... I like this. Blair Davenport got involved. She attacked Gigi Dolan. For what? I don't know. But we'll wait and see. But, um... I thought they had a decent match... I thought that that was the weakest match on the show. But it was still fine. In the main event, we had the no disqualification match between Braun Breaker and Von Wagner. I thought these two had a really good main event. They had a really good main event with Braun Breaker winning with the spear. After the match, Breaker hits Wagner with a chair, sends him crashing into the ring, ring steps, and he uses one of the steps to hit Wagner on the spine. He drops the other one on his head, and the show cuts to black. Think of it like a fatality in Mortal Kombat. And I I thought this was fine. I thought 
The ending was fine. It left me intrigued. And I can't wait to see what they have in store for us. I can't wait to see what they have in store with this whole storyline. Um, but other than that, I thought NXT was a really enjoyable episode. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode of NXT. SmackDown Live took place at the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. And wasn't feeling this show that much, but... And not only that, I had a virtual meeting, so... I mean, I managed to watch it while I was in the meeting, so that makes it even better. But other than that, I just something just fell off. You know, you didn't have Roman. John, John Cena was in India for their superstar spectacle, and... There were some good things. There were some good things on the show, but just was eh, to say the least. Just, it was a meh episode of SmackDown. They started things off with Charlotte Flair and Shotzi taking on Bailey and Io. I thought they had an alright match. Really nothing special. Um, Bailey, she was going to go for her elbow drop when she got distracted by Asuka. She got distracted by Oscar and she took the uh, women's title from Dakota Kai. That distracted Bailey. She got big booted off the top rope. Uh, Shotzi hit her DDT finisher for the win. So clearly she is still feuding with Bailey. But the match I did not care about. What I cared about was what happened after the match. And this was something that I have been waiting for for a long time. You had a stare down. With Io and Asuka. And I'm just thinking. Oh my god. We are getting this fucking match. We are getting this match. Because this is something that we have never seen before. And it's something new. It's something fresh. They were teasing this. And. Like during. Clash at the Castle. They were teasing it at War Games. For Survivor Series. And the fact that we're getting this in two weeks. Which. This is this match is official. In two weeks, it will be EO Sky defending her women's title against Asuka. This is a dream come true. And I'm being real when I say this. This is a dream come true. Now, I am kind of disappointed that they're doing this on television when this could be billed as a pay-per-view match for Fastlane. I think that would be a much better approach, but... Here's what I predict. I feel like there's going to be a fuck finish. I feel like there's going to end in a no contest. And I would run the match back at Fastlane with a stipulation. I think that's one way they could do it. Number two, they might have EO beat Oscar clean. And then you do EO and Charlotte, which I think that is the destination that they really want. I mean, Charlotte does not even need to be near a title picture. She should just be far away. I get it, she's a top star, but give others an opportunity, goddammit. Or they could do EO and Shotzi. Because EO, no, Shotzi has an issue with damage control. What better way to get back at them is by going after the women's title. That's another way they could do that. But... A feud with EO and Oscar should be a pay-per-view worthy match and not be given away on free television. But I'm still looking forward to it in two weeks because that is a match that we have not seen. And if they don't main event this show, they're doing something wrong. They have to main event it. Because I want them to go over the limit. 
And I really mean that wholeheartedly. I want them to go over the fucking limit because Io and Oscar are one of the best Joshi wrestlers right now, in my honest opinion, that WWE has. And I heard some, like I was on Twitter and somebody brought up an idea of Kyrie making a return for that match. I I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be around November because... And if you look back, and I mentioned this pre, like a couple of episodes back, when I talked about Kyrie coming back to WWE, I literally said that if there's one person who has an issue with Bailey, who has unfinished business with Bailey, it's Kyrie, who got ridden off of television. Like, who wrote her off of television? Bailey did. And what better way to get back at Bailey? By not only beating her, but going after Io. Which would be a nice little story you could do. Because Io and Kyrie, they were best friends. And, hey, um, WWE, I'm giving you ideas. I work for free. You don't have to pay me. I mean, you will have to pay me. I'm just messing with you. You don't have to pay me. You don't have to pay diddly shit. But take that idea into consideration. I would keep that title on EO, possibly until, I don't know, but I want her to have a long run, because EO has proven that she is one of the best, and you're having the best NXT Women's Champion in Asuka, and possibly one of the best in the world, taking on the best in the world, and I'm all in for it, I just hope they play their cards right, and I think the crowd should be invested in this, because this is a match we have not seen. We go backstage to Jimmy Uso and Paul Heyman. Now, Jimmy claims that I'm still in the bloodline, given that no one informed him that he was out of the stable. And Heyman said that neither Solo Sokoa or Roman Reigns is in Boston. Solo was in Boston, so he was clearly lying. And he says Jimmy is not in the group because Reigns has not declared so. Then he tells him he will handle the Tribal Chief while Jimmy handles AJ Styles in their match later tonight, which is the main event. So he's walking off, and he encounters AJ Styles. He says Styles has enough problems in his life and has no, one, has no business entangling with him. Styles gets in his face when Jimmy Uso appears out of nowhere and just, I believe, kicks him in the face. And he leaves after that. And Heyman just says, call Roman Reigns. And he gives Roman a call. So, but later on backstage, I do want to mention this because it's the OC. Now, Lou Gallows, he's doing his Howard Finkel impression, which is still spot on. You got Gall- you got Anderson and Mechan, they're laughing. AJ comes in, he is not happy. He's just so PO'd. He's pissed off. And he's like, you guys saw what happened backstage with me and Jimmy? And Carl was literally trying to tell him, you gotta stay away from blood, the bloodline business. And AJ doesn't care about that. He smacks the phone down, and he's like, I brought you guys in for a reason. And if that's the case, if y'all gonna continue acting like this, Maybe I don't need you at ringside for my match. And that, that was just a frustrated AJ Styles. But what I see 
Because I know people are saying on social media, oh, they're about to break up the OC. They're about to break up the club. No, they're not. I think this is AJ's way of trying to make Gallows and Anderson be taken serious instead of acting like goofballs. Which, that's what they've been doing on their entire run. They've been, they were nothing but a joke. So, if they take them seriously, and I hope to God WWE does this, then maybe you get a little sprinkle in that faction warfare. And not only that, you present Gals and Anderson as a serious threat to a tag team division. As for Mia Yim, I want her back in that women's division. I want her to showcase what she can really do because she hasn't even given that chance yet. And that is a big problem. So hopefully they can resolve this. We go to LA Knight. Who is still over as fuck. He addresses the Miz. He addresses his segment that segment on Monday Night Raw and says his theme song says, I came to play. Now Knight says he isn't here to play while Miz is playing dress up as John Cena. He says he didn't need John Cena's endorsement at payback, but he has all the respect for him, and Miz has a bitter pill to swallow. So he looks to accept the Miz's challenge, but Grayson Waller comes out and he says Miz ran through Cena on Raw before he gets ahead of himself accepting Miz's challenge. He welcomes Austin Theory and they brag about their win against Ray and Santos last week and he says they're the only undefeated tag team and Knight tells the two of them to go get their mothers about it instead of him. Theory says Cena helped Knight defeat Miz. And he and of course he brags about his WrestleMania win, which doesn't mean shit. And I mean that wholeheartedly. It doesn't mean shit at this point. I think everybody can agree with me when I say it, that it just does not. Like, I just do not care about him bragging about fucking his win like his fucking win over over John Cena at WrestleMania this year. It did nothing for him. It did nothing for him. Now, he reminds Knight that that he's already defeated him and says he's been here and he tells him to soak up the 15 minutes of fame because he won't be well known after he's done with him. So Knight, he takes a few shots at Grayson and Austin Theory. And he dares Theory to meet him in the ring for the match, which we got the match, which was which was good. It was good for what it was. And it was a nice win for LA Knight because LA Knight is super over. He's getting a mega push. Now we go backstage and we see Paul Heyman talking with um, Adam Pierce about who's going to be traded from Raw. Uh, from Raw to SmackDown, LA Knight barges in, and he asks for a rematch against The Miz, which is going to happen next week. And Heyman was conversing with LA Knight. He's trying to be this nice guy. He's like, like I, like we haven't properly introduced ourselves. And he's like, my name's Paul Heyman. Yada yada yada. Blah blah blah. But um, other than that, it, it was fine. It was fine. The Judgment Day. They're in the ring, and they're bragging about having all the gold 
and Dominic Mysterio's one-year anniversary in the stable. Now, Dom was trying to talk. The people in Boston, they booed the shit out of Dom. You could barely hear what the fuck he's saying. Now, most people were saying, oh, this was piped in. Like, I know there are some people who were there. They said they, they booed the fuck out of, uh, out of Dom. Um, the Brawling Brutes come out. Ridge Holland and Butch appear, take an objection to Dom's statement about Judgment Day being the most dominant group in WWE. Holland tells Judgment Day they should be worried about Butch, which Balor laughs. He tells Butch that he doesn't care about him and Butch snapping his fingers. The Brutes then send Judgment Day crashing to the outside, which leads us to our match, which I thought was... I thought it was good. I thought this was a good match, but uh, we we knew what the outcome was going to be. Judgment Day, they got the win over the Brawling Brutes. Now, after the match, Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits, they don't have a stable name yet. They come out and they put the Judgment Day on notice. So, Faction 1, Faction 2, and half of Faction 3, and possibly 4. Because AJ Styles took on Jimmy Uso. I mean, it was it was main event Jimmy. But um, the match was pretty meh. Not much I could say about it. It was meh. But AJ Styles, he got a much-needed win over Jimmy. After the match, Damian Priest comes in. And so does Finn Balor. They blindside AJ Styles. Toss him to the ring for Solo. Like a peace offering. And he hits a Samoan spike to AJ Styles. And they're staring at down the Judgment Day as the show goes off the air. Now, the way I looked at this, I thought they're setting up something as a faction warfare. You got Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits. You got the Judgment Day. You got what's left of the Bloodline. You got Jimmy Solo and potentially Roman. And you're going to have the club in this AJ Styles in the OC. That's a faction warfare right there. Now, I don't know if this is going to set up war games. I, I don't think it's going to set up war games. It's just a hunch. But I honestly believe that this is going to be something I think everybody's going to be keeping an eye on. But other than that, SmackDown was pretty meh. And, uh... That's it for this episode, guys. I am getting the heck out of here. Thank y'all so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast. It really means a lot to me. Follow me on on Twitter, Shino D Phoenix. I mean, I'm not calling it X. <laughs> Follow me on Instagram, Cool Man Sip. That's CYP, by the way. Um, follow me on Kick and Twitch, Shino Phoenix. Follow me on TikTok, Shino D Phoenix. Like the Facebook page, No One's Ready for Wrestling, and subscribe to my YouTube channel if you haven't gotten a chance. Please do so. But until then, take care. Be safe. Support wrestling as much as you can. And this Phoenix flies off. Have a great rest of your weekend, guys. Peace out.